Talk, talk to me as the, the layman that I am. Why should a film made almost entirely on water of necessity be so expensive? What are the logistics that the public might not understand about? Well, the, I, I don't have an exact number, but somebody told me anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people worked on this movie. And um, if it's just me floating on a raft with someone talking, the movie, and that's done entirely on the water, it's not going to be that expensive. But we had large ships. We had things, we had villages that had to be constructed, created months ahead of time that had to be safe for people to walk on. Literally, um, uh, we, um, we would have, you know, two, three hundred people working in a scene. That meant every one of them had to be out there on a boat. That meant somebody had to be watching them. That meant they had to be taken care of both from a safety standpoint to a um, to you know just taking care of their own personal needs, uh, whether it be you know bathrooms or food, and and every one of those aspects require a person to take care of that. So you see what happens in a movie on the water; it exponentially grows. Uh, uh, someone has to be watching me. Whereas if we're on this land, I don't have a safety feature here. Now you're in the scene; you need a safety person watching you because you're just as important as me. And we tried to make everyone feel that way, and so. Um, you, you see a movie exponentially grow in just manpower, um, then the problems of working on the water, I think, are probably fairly obvious to anyone. You know, the, you know, the movements, the, the cameras, the things that, you know, they go, that was a wonderful take, but we lost it in a swell. You know, um, we can't go out today. It's too dangerous. You know, um, we, uh, we these, are, these are not inexperienced people. This is not like students that went out there and made a film. You know, people go, oh, boy, they just didn't know what they were doing. These are some of the best people in the world making this movie, and, and they did it. Everybody, welcome back to Not a Bomb Podcast. We're on episode 118. Brad, we're we're back from Horrorhound. We are. I I just saw you in person for the last what three days. Yes, it was awesome. We got we got to see a bunch of people in person. Our good friends from Night of the Living Podcast, uh, Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, our very own Korean cool John was there as well. Uh, and his amazing wife. Uh, I I got to tell you though, I'm a little wore out. I I, I am too. I, I took it on the chin, so I'm glad I didn't do a whole lot today. To be perfectly honest with you, but uh, what I did do, Troy, yes, is I watched the movie that we're talking about this week. So yes, episode 118. We're talking about uh, famous movies that bombed theatrically or the critics didn't give any love to. So it was my pick, and man, I I thought we would talk about a doozy, right? So. I chose 1995's Waterworld, also known as Kevin's Gate, um, <laughs> in reference to a film that we've talked about prior on the show, Heaven's Gate. And to do this kind of heavy lifting, we had to bring in the big guns. And so we are welcoming back Josh from the VHS Files podcast. Josh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, fellas. Glad to be back. Glad to be back uh, talking about Hollywood bombs with you guys. And this is one of the first ones that I like ever remember like hearing about how much a movie bombed. Was this it? Was this movie? So did so when I, 
did you see it in the theater? I mean, were you tracking it and then uh, went to see it in the theater at the time of its release? I did not see it in the theater. I'm pretty sure I caught it on cable at some point. Um, but the thing was, is I just you heard so much about this movie. Number one, at the time, I'm sure you're going to get into this most expensive movie ever made at that point. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that comes with that. And then you get into the production of this and, and this movie shares some similar um, DNA with my favorite movie of all time, Jaws, as in shot on water. <laughs> so therefore production was probably a absolute nightmare. So we'll, I'm sure we'll get into all that stuff. But when I saw the lineup and you guys were talking about this one, I I hadn't broke into my uh, arrow uh, extended edition just yet. So I was like, you know what? This gives me a good reason to pop that bad boy open and talk about uh, Waterworld with you guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to talk. Yeah. We're excited too. So Brad, I, I, I didn't see this in the theater. Did, did you catch this one? I didn't, uh, but more along the lines of what Josh was talking about. I do remember a lot of like entertainment tonight in all the magazines carrying in for, or, or having um, stories on, just what a disaster uh, Waterworld had become. It was more of what was going wrong with the movie than anything. And and that's what it was known for. Um, and I think people remember it as this horrible train wreck. Um, I think when you go back and look at it in 2022, outside the context of, oh, this movie's a disaster. It costs, it's the most expensive movie ever made. Um, they did it on water, all this stuff. Like it's going to be a disaster. And I, I don't know if that what movie was it when we talked about that? I think a lot of the the production people were like, well, I think people were reading the headlines and not um, reviewing the film as it is. What was that? It was just like two or three films ago we talked about. There's a few um, of it. I, I, yeah. I would say that this is a prime example of that. Uh, we'll get into the numbers and we'll even get into the production. Uh, I think we all own this just beautiful arrow release um, on Blu-ray. Yep. For those, (laughs) well, nobody can see it. We're doing a podcast. (laughs) We're going to say we're not, we're not doing the fancy uh, YouTube stuff. We need to learn that from you, Josh. Although I don't think anybody wants to see Uh, Brad and I have a face for podcasting, not YouTube. (laughs) Um, But no, this, this arrow release, it's got the theatrical version, the U S television version, and I think the third cut is called the Ulysses. The Ulysses. Uh, Ulysses. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, and that is basically a three-hour-plus version of the film. So it, it just kind of goes uh, in length. <laughs> um, but the special features on it alone are ridiculous. And we'll talk about that in detail. But I, I think you're right. This, for me as well, was one of the films... Uh, in the 90s, where the press was all about the behind the scenes and more specifically about the budget. And I would say it was a highly anticipated release in the sense that everybody was anticipating it to just make like $5 opening weekend. That was it. Like, I, I feel like everybody was hoping that this would be a lesson to Hollywood that you shouldn't be spending that kind of money. Yeah. And, and, kind of teaching them that just because you spend a bunch of money doesn't mean people are going to go out and see a movie. I think people turned on this one pretty quickly when they saw what the budget was and the advertising dollars that went into it as well. I mean, it was ridiculous. So do, 
do you know anybody who uh, likes this film? And I asked that because when people found out I was watching Waterworld, and then I followed that up with, yeah, I'm watching a three-hour version of Waterworld, I got a lot of, man, I couldn't make it through that film, that movie's terrible, et cetera. I've never seen it, but I don't want to see it. I don't know a lot of people in my circle uh, on this side of, of the state who, who just have an appreciation for it. Do, where, do, where do your friend circles lie on this one? Well, I have a theory, and it's, you know, I don't want to play my hand too soon here. I mean, we're talking not a bomb. We're going to determine whether this movie's a bomb or not. But, you know, I don't think that Waterworld's a bad movie. The thing is, is Waterworld is, you could rename this movie Mad Max H2O. Like, yeah, it, it, it's it's a Mad Max movie on water, and therefore, like, it's it it had this budget. It got so expensive, it got so out of hand. When we already had the Road Warrior to watch, you know, like, and and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. So, like, I think that might have been a disappointment to people when they heard about all of this that was going on with this movie, and then they see the movie, and it's just Mad Max on water. Uh, I mean, there really isn't much more to it than that. It's just a, a different way of looking at the, that kind of a world. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know of a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, Waterworld, man, I, I got to go pick that one up or I, I'm watching Waterworld tonight. Like nobody's ever excited to watch this movie. But honestly, I, I had a great time watching both cuts of this movie for the <laughs> show. So, OK, what about you, Brad? I mean, it- I, I don't like like Josh's. I don't have a lot of friends who are saying i love water worlds i don't i would put this in the ishtar heaven's gate category where people have heard that it's terrible heard that they're long and heard that that they're just probably not worth watching and not investing time so they've all passed like i i I don't know of many people who have seen this movie but if i ask them their opinion on it they would say oh that movie's terrible without seeing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's funny you bring up Ishtar. I mean, you guys have talked about both Ishtar and, and Heaven's Gate on your show. Uh, and Troy brought up Kevin's Gate earlier. They nicknamed it Kevin's Gate. It's also been called Fishtar because of the yeah. relativity there. So Yeah. <laughs> it Fishtar's is. pretty good. I, I like Fishtar. That one's good. Uh, well, let, let's get into the numbers and let's go back in the time machine um, to 1995 and talk about when Waterworld was released, what kind of reception received, and uh, talk the numbers. So give give us a crash course, Brad. Yeah. So interesting on the budget. Initially, the budget was approved for a hundred million dollars. Uh, that then went up to one hundred and thirty-five million dollars, and then finally that went up to one hundred and seventy-five million dollars, making this the world's at the time the world's most expensive movie. Um, I will say that it on the production side it does make money. Um, it does make $88 million domestically, which is not good for 175. Um, it does make 176 internationally on its way to $264 million. Um, though you have to remember there's a revenue split with the theaters and there's also production. There's also marketing and advertising as well. So this movie lost a lot of money. Um, did it though? I, I here's well after. So, now, after rights for um, cable and all that stuff, I think it now has started to make a profit. Um, yeah, I, I even think at the time, and I'm only getting this from uh, the producers and the filmmakers from the documentary, and we'll talk about that documentary. I think a lot of people um, are now saying at the time of its initial release, 
given you know its pre-sale rights and everything else, it uh-huh. it actually came out with a little bit of a profit at that time period. And then if you consider that you know Universal now has like the, the Waterworld stunt show and all this mm-hmm. other stuff that they were doing, uh, it it wasn't the bomb that everybody thought it was from a financial perspective. Well, and then also since they did shoot around Hawaii, it generated like thirty five million dollars uh, yes. for Hawaii. So you know it it did some good for the location that it shot um, on. So that's I give it props for doing that. I mean thirty five million dollars is no joke. Um, so yeah, so like I said, two hundred sixty four million dollars um, for its total run. It's opening weekend, which is July twenty uh, eighth, nineteen ninety five. It does open number one. It beats out films like The Nets, Apollo thirteen, Clueless, Nine Months. Operation Dumbo Drop and Under Siege Two: Dark Territory. Oh, <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, man, I'm taking on that fish star. Um, <laughs> and lost. <laughs> yeah, and lost. Uh, additionally, so I was surprised by this because again, we always hear, "Oh, this movie's a disaster. It's terrible." Critically, sits at a 45 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I was expecting way lower. I, I hadn't looked at this in forever. Um, and a 43% with the critics, the audience, um, right? Oh, I'm sorry. With the audience, yeah. 45 with critics, uh, 43 with the audience. Our good old Christian website does have a nice little review for this one. Oh boy. Um, I will, I will take guesses on what Waterworld comes in. I will give you a hint. It's not positive. <laughs> See, if you can, if you can imagine. So we're, we're talking the scale of what is it plus four minus four, right? Yeah. Minus four being, uh, being hellish and plus four being the most heavenly. Okay. I don't, I, it's, I can't get a gauge on this group when it comes to like evolution. So <laughs> I'm just going to play it safe and say negative two. Okay. I was going to go negative two as well. It is a negative two. I got I one, s- right? Yes. I, 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 I will say we, they don't really bring up the evolution thing. They do say, okay, let me just get into there. The content of Waterworld, according to Movie Guide, mythic worldview of post-apocalyptic Earth where some anti-biblical environmentalist pagan and moral elements, <laughs> 12 obscenities, six profanities, and one blasphemous scene. Oh, boy. Uh, moderate violence, including eight battle scenes with murders using a variety of weapons and methods, spears, machetes, machine guns, slashing, torture, and drowning. One impaled, uh, one implied scene of fornication with partial nudity and references to rape, prostitution, and pedophilia and smoking. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, that. they missed they missed incest as well. Yes, there is a <laughs> reference to incest, but yeah. Uh, Gotta keep those lines pure. Um, <laughs> yeah, nothing about like, like, because you. It's implied here that like global warming caused the you know the the sea to rise, the oceans to rise, and nothing about evolution. So I was, I don't know, do better. I, I think I'd read somewhere too that because the whole premise of this film is that the polar ice caps have melted, melted, yeah, and the entire world is underwater. But I thought I read somewhere if the polar ice caps actually have melted, it it wouldn't flood the entire world. It wouldn't have rose that high. I read that too. And it's funny, an early draft of the script or something they left on the cutting room floor is they were wanting to shoot something with a second moon 
and that gravity was going to have something to do with why the water was so high, but they left that out. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of, uh, like reality stuff they've left out of this story for the sake of it being water world, you know? Um, number one, like before we get into the movie, I mean, I just, I, I have questions about like, how did people survive if it's this long after with no food or or, you know, I have questions about things, but if you start asking those questions, it's going to ruin any movie you talk about. Yeah, don't 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 poke at those uh, those yeah. holes in this movie because it'll it'll sink. Um, movies you could have seen July 1995. You have the classic Clueless, uh, First Night, Species, uh, Nine Months, Indeed in the Covered, uh, the aforementioned Under Siege Two. Dark Territory, which made $104 billion. I think that's the last Steven Seagal movie I remember being excited to see when I was younger. Because number number one, I loved Under Siege. So, of of course, the sequel to Under Siege, I was all all about. But uh, there's the one that he did shortly after that, the On on Deadly Ground. It's all about oil. That one was the one where I was like, okay, I'm done with Steven Seagal. Uh, do, we do you remember the, the times when we were excited about Steven Seagal? I mean, yeah. I can't. I know his in my head. Handful, his first handful of movies, man, were one of those that, you know, right there with Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Like, I was watching that shit like crazy when I was a kid. Oh, I know. I just, when you when you talk Steven Seagal 2022, yeah. it, like, I could not, I could never tell. My kids just think I'm I'm a buffoon when I go, there was a time when Steven Seagal was the ultimate badass and everybody was excited about his films and thought that, man, this guy ruled Hollywood action films and both my son and daughter are like, you are nuts. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, is, is Seagal part of the Gary Busey sort of thing now? Like you Seagal's know, in his Busey own territory. Cool like, at one point and now he's just sort of like off on his own little world. Yeah, <sighs> I mean, Seagal yeah. is, man, you, <laughs> there are a lot of great podcasts talking about sort of the the behind the scenes of Steven Seagal. Yeah. They're very interesting and they're very creepy, but I imagine. Uh, let's see. We got the sequel to Free Willy, Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home. Um, kids. That's the Harmony Corinne kids. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Nets, Operation Dumbo Drop, and then uh, obviously Waterworld. So. Are you saying the net, like this, the Sandra the, Bullock movie? Yeah, the net. Yeah, the net. Oh, wow. <laughs> the internet's going <laughs> to. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this was the big Hollywood action adventure film for the summer. And yes, and this made two hundred sixty-four uh, million dollars, which would have won the month. Um, and I'm looking at August. I mean, Babe made two six uh, two forty-six. Yeah, like this is. I think this was the biggest grossing film of that summer. What was in June? Oh, Apollo thirteen. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I I knew but that yeah, was a like juggernaut, but this this yeah. was a heavy hitter for that summer. Yeah, it was. It looks like it was third. It looks like it was Apollo thirteen, Batman Forever, and then Waterworld. Okay. Can't mess with Ron Howard and Joel yeah. Schumacher, man. <laughs> that that's interesting. I, so okay, uh, well let's talk about the people involved in the making of this film, <laughs> and you're going to hear a lot of familiar names, especially if you've listened to like the previous 117 episodes. So we always start with the people behind the camera. And of course, we're talking Kevin Reynolds, which we've already talked about Kevin Reynolds based on a listener feedback segment where they had recommended Ooh. The Beast from The Beast. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So Kevin Reynolds has been on the show before. And uh, to give a little bit of history, Kevin Reynolds, as well as Kevin Costner, are kind of best friends. 
So they've worked together. They've known each other over the years. Leading up to Waterworld, you've got him directing Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves in 91, which was a huge hit. Uh, but apparently him and, and Kevin Costner had some feuds and some disagreements. And a lot of people didn't think they were going to work uh, together again. However, they still maintain their friendship, right? Uh, Rapa Nui in 1994, which was a huge box office bomb for Kevin Reynolds. And then he followed that up with Waterworld, which, again, Kevin Costner requested uh, specifically Kevin Reynolds to come back and, and direct this film. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't he Didn't he say he wouldn't do it unless Kevin Reynolds directed? Yes. Something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. Which was everybody was a little shocked given how things um, went down with Robin Hood because there there was just a difference in what that film should be and how it played out. But again, uh, it, it, it was a major success for both of them. Uh, I, oh, Kevin Reynolds, I think, will be back on this show at one other point in time when we talk about 187. Yes, I think so. He's and I mean we've said this. I think he's an interesting director. He's very com- he's he's not going to be in my opinion an A-list director, but I was surprised when we talked about the Beast. I mean, I'll just say it right now, out of his entire filmography, still to this day I think The Beast is his best film. And, and I would agree. Yes. Hey, have you caught The Beast, Josh? No, I heard you guys really did like it a lot. Um and I've I've looked around to see if I can get a copy of it and just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. Uh, I, I keep getting that mixed up with Sexy Beast, which is the other. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a Jonathan Demme movie? Oh yeah, completely different film. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> completely different. Uh, is Gandolfini? Is that Gandolfini in Sexy Beast? No, uh, it's, uh, it's Ray. Um, gosh, Ray I can't, is it him? It's him and the guy who played the Mandarin in Iron Man Three. What's oh, his Ben name? Kingsley. Uh, ben Kingsley's in it as well. Yeah. Yep. Ah, it, it's okay. Sexy Beast is a good film, but I'm just telling you, for those who are still sitting on the fence to watch 1988's The Beast, it is a uh, it's just a fantastic film about the Russian the Russian tank uh, story. It's really good. And I, you know, and you you bring up Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, you know, uh, and he directed that as well with, with Kevin Costner, and I think that might have been one reason this movie kind of had a high like a high bar to meet is because you just had you know, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And that movie was, you know, a blockbuster. It was, it was a good movie. A lot of people caught on to that. And I, I think you get, you know, Costner again with this big budget sort of action movie, there was a lot riding on that. And I think that also, you know, I think Robin Hood might've contributed as to why this movie didn't do so well. I think Robin Hood, didn't Robin Hood make like $400 million? I mean, it was huge. It was big. I, I don't know how much it made, but I, I know it was a huge freaking movie. I, I think when the studio saw that they had gotten Kevin Reynolds and Kevin Costner together, they thought they were going to make Robin Hood money again. Yeah. Um, which probably didn't, they didn't blink an eye at saying, okay, we'll increase the budget to 175. So to your point, Brad, it just gradually grew. I think from their perspective, it was like not a big deal because, you know, they're they're going to bankroll like Robin Hood money, more or less. Uh, this is where it gets really interesting. Written by Peter Rader. Now, he was the one who came up with the original story, and he, he doesn't have a lot of screenwriting credits to his name. He's a director, too. I mean, if, if you look at his filmography, he's done like Escape to Witch Mountain, the 1995 TV movie version I think he did a film, The Last Legion. He wrote that in 2007. And what we have today in terms of Waterworld is not his original script. So he had planned to do something that was a lot more Roger Corman-like, where it was, he he specifically said, let's just do Mad Max on water. 
and uh, it had a lot more sci-fi kind of post-apocalyptic elements to it, but it definitely was not of the budget level, I, I think, that even he had planned. So the other screen credit you get is David Tui. Now, <laughs> Brad, you and I have talked about David Tui because we got to guest over on the Iron Sequel. So David oh, is for, responsible for the Chronicles of Riddick. That's right. Didn't yeah. he do Pitch Black too? Didn't he do the whole trilogy? I, I think so. I know. I know he um, wrote and directed Chronicles of Riddick. What's funny is his very first film uh, that he wrote was Critters Two: The Main Course, 1988. <laughs> so he's got some genre credits uh, between that Warlock in '89, before Waterworld. He had done a script for a Charlie Sheen movie called Terminal Velocity uh, in 1994. Have you guys seen that action film? Hell yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen it. I do not remember anything about it, though, but I do remember watching it as a kid. It's fun. I, yeah. I liked it a lot. That That's when I, I can't remember. For some reason, there were a couple of like parachuting themed movies. It was that one in Drop Zone with Wesley Snipes, I think, came out about the same time. <laughs> Um, and then he made, I mean, David made his directing, um, debut with timescape in 1992, but yeah, we've, we've talked about him over at James uh, show the iron sequel, go check that out. Uh, cause I, I can't remember Brad. I I've always loved the Riddick films, especially Chronicles of Riddick. You, I think you passed on it. Yeah. I like pitch black, but I don't like Chronicles of Riddick. Okay. Well, you're wrong. Um, mm -hmm. anyways, <laughs> <laughs> cinematography by Dean Semler. This is, this also gets pretty interesting. So he shot Mad Max two in 1981, also known as the road warrior, uh, Mad Max beyond Thunderdome in 85. So there you go, Josh, you're talking yeah. Mad Max H2O. They yep. brought the guy who filmed the other ones, right? Well, at least they wore it on their sleeve and they said, you know, they, they wanted to do that. I mean, it'd be one thing if they were like, Oh no, Mad Max. Whoa, what is that? The road warrior? No, no, it's <laughs> obvious. They, they wear it on their sleeve. I'm not giving it, I'm not giving it any, any points off for that. I'm just, they're advertising the that they're wearing it. They're, they were, Hey, we, we got the guy who filmed the Mad Max. Movie, yeah. So, uh, he won an Academy award, uh, for best cinematography working with Kevin Costner on dances with wolves, uh, which we all agreed that was the year it should have. I mean, dances with wolves was the best film, right? Brad, Absolutely not. Oh, what would have been better than Dances with Wolves in 1990? Troy, we, we've, we've gone over this multiple times. It is Goodfellas. It's oh, the greatest film of 1990. That little independent film from <laughs> yeah, that it's not uh, even, it's not even Scorsese guy? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Listen to this. this. This is crazy. So leading up to Waterworld, this is what Dean was working on. 1993, Super Mario Brothers. Hell yeah. <laughs> also 1993, another movie we've talked about, The Last Action Hero. In 1993, The Three Musketeers. In 1994, The Cowboy Way. Remember that one, Kiefer Sutherland and um, Woody from Cheers? What's his name? Mm. Woody Harrelson? Woody Harrelson, yeah, that guy. Woody from Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Woody Harrelson's been acting for 30, 40, almost 40 fucking Listen, years. Woody from Cheers. If you, know, you saw how much Cheers. I consumed at Horror Hound, you'd understand yeah, he, the loss of few I'm surprised cells. that Troy's alive right now. This is true. I, this is true. I'm actually quite jealous of you guys. Uh, and then you did Waterworld. I, I, I think it's funny. We've done like 117 shows now. And we've had so many of these same names pop up again and again. I, I'm I'm pretty close to. I, I think we could make a theory that if a collusion of X amount of people from this list are involved, it's pretty much guaranteed to be a bomb. 
<laughs> oh yeah, I, I could I could get that together in a spreadsheet for you real quick. Okay, yeah, we need we need some analysis. A <laughs> uh, couple of other people behind the scenes, edited by Peter Boyle, who also edited Kevin Costner's The Postman, nineteen eighty seven, which is another movie we talked about, and music by James Newton Howard, which uh, pirate music. He made pirate music for for this film. I, I like the score. I don't know what you guys think, but uh, it, I think it, the score is good. There's a musical choice in the movie that I think is kind of weird, but I think that a lot of the music choices are weird. But the score I do enjoy. There is one music. Are we talking about the same thing when they're riding around in the car? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just kind of it's it's off. It takes me out. <laughs> it does. But I, I will say, uh, James Newton Howard is really going for this swashbuckling theme yeah. with this one. Yeah. So let's talk about the people in front of the camera. So real quick. There are so many character actors in here. I mean, a lot. Yeah. And a lot of famous faces. So I'm going to just kind of concentrate on a few that have, I think, the most screen time and maybe one that uh, it, it just shocked me. <laughs> we'll start with Kevin Costner um, as the Mariner. Now, leading up to this film, he had done The Bodyguard in 92, which was a big hit, right? A Perfect World in 93, which was a pretty big hit as well. It actually made good money. That's a Clint Eastwood, right? Clint Eastwood film. I need to go back and watch that. I remember seeing that as a kid and liking it a lot. I don't know how I'd feel about it now. I'm pretty sure I have it on Blu-ray, <laughs> but I need to give that a rewatch. I think you should. I I, I still enjoy it. Um, yeah. Now, here's where it gets interesting. 1994, Wyatt Earp, which was a bomb. The War came out in 1994 as well, and it's a bomb. And that leads us to Waterworld. So here, Kevin Costner has a couple of films that are on shaky ground, and he even follows Waterworld up with Tin Cup in 1996, which is a fantastic film. Um, I, now, Brad and I have talked about Kevin Costner and where we stand with him. I'm curious with you, Josh, what, what's your opinion on uh, Mr. Costner in terms of his filmography or, or him as a general actor? Well, I mean, Kevin Costner was a staple in my household. I mean, he, you couldn't. You couldn't switch to any channel and not see a movie with Kevin Costner at some point in his late 80s, early 90s. So, I mean, I, for the most part, think I enjoy a lot of what I've, I've seen of Costner's, but there's a whole lot of his stuff that I haven't seen as well. Um, but, like, I mainly remember him from um, stuff like A Perfect World, this, um, obviously Robin Hood, Um but you know, the bodyguard. I, I remember seeing that when I was a kid. I don't remember. I, remember I know you're not a. I know you're not a sports movie guy. But what do you think of the sports? Or you're not a sports person, but you well, do like sports movies. That's so. the other thing too. Is I, you guys are about to berate me. I, I have never seen Field of Dreams, so that you know. <laughs> <laughs> what is this commie talk? You've never seen Field of Dreams. <laughs> The, fa uh, <laughs> the face you made, Troy. Oh my God! <laughs> there's there's a lot of sports related movies that I have avoided over the years, and that's one of them. Um, and that's funny, and it's because I I don't dislike sports movies, but I definitely am not a big baseball fan. So that might be but what baseball it is, movies but translate so well because there's do. so much downtime that like <laughs> it makes a great movie. <laughs> so I mean, I I don't I don't have that aspect of Kevin Costner to kind of, I know Kevin Costner from either action roles or dramatic roles. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's fine. I, I think it's, it's kind of weird that he was this sort of like male sex symbol action star. Cause I, I he, 
he doesn't look like the ones of today at this point. So like, I don't know. It's kind of weird to me that he was sort of a sex symbol in the nineties, but I, I don't think so. If you go back and kind of look at the night to me, I've always equate Kevin Costner plays a great Kevin Costner. I mean, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think he has range and we've talked about this ad nauseum when we talked about the postman, I've always liked him, but I equate him to like a John Wayne. John Wayne was John Wayne in every film, right? He just had a different name. Yeah. Kevin Costner, for the most part, uh, feels like the same. There, there's little nuances and variances to what he brings to a part. Yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot of difference between his Elliot Ness and his Robin Hood. There isn't, but I mean, he's great in both. <laughs> yeah, for, great in both, but they're literally not he is, that he, much difference. Yeah, I'll say he he's really smart at picking roles that he can play to his strength when it comes to a performance. Yeah, because I mean, he's he did the Untouchables. I haven't seen the Untouchables at this point. God dang it, John. <laughs> yeah, what is wrong? Go. What about what about JFK? Have you seen JFK? I've not seen JFK. <laughs> Let's just go through the list, guys. Yeah, no, um, no. I'll tell you what I have seen that I do enjoy and haven't seen in a long time, but it, this could possibly end up on your show at some point and give me a good reason to watch it. Three thousand miles to Graceland. Remember that one? Oh, with uh, Kurt Russell. Uh, Kurt Russell. <laughs> I remember liking that when I saw it when I was younger, but if I watched it now, who knows what I would think. I haven't it. seen it since the theaters. And I remember walking out of theater just confused. Um, yeah, yeah, that was, I think that was Kevin Costner trying to chase down the true romance um, yeah. phase, Reservoir Dogs, I, Pulp Fiction kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that's definitely around the time Pulp Fiction was influencing everything. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but I mean, even, th even dances with wolves and the postman, like I've seen dances with wolves once <laughs> and have never revisited it. Um, because it's a long movie and I don't, you know, and I'll say, I, I can't say this enough. Brad shits all over that film. I know it came out the same year as Goodfellas, but it's I, still I don't, a great I don't movie. shit on that movie, but I'm just, I just want you to get in a room with people and say, Hey, when was the last time you watched, dances with wolves or had a conversation about dances with wolves it'll be 20 years for most people if you say what was the last time you watched goodfellas i bet most people have seen it in the last five years mm -hmm. i don't I, debate yeah, that I, I, <laughs> yeah I so i mean i'm just yeah. saying it that that should matter okay uh, you know it, it it's remained uh, goodfellas remained in the zeitgeist if you want to talk about how good of a film uh, dances with wolves is that's eh, a little bit of a different conversation, I guess. But you know, I, I can I understand where you're coming from, both of you. So, okay. Well, the next person on our list, he's the big heavy in the film, right? The Deacon, and it's played by Dennis Hopper. Again, we've talked about him when we talked about True Romance in '93, and it's kind of funny. It, he was, I mean, Dennis Hopper's was just doing a lot of work in the '90s. But he had True Romance in 93, Speed in 94, which he's fantastic in that God. as the villain. Pop quiz, hot shot. Yeah. And then you got Waterworld in 95, uh, which I, I feel Speed was. Excuse a, me, Troy. Also in 93, I believe he played King Koopa. Oh, Super yes. Mario Brothers. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. That's right. Yep. Uh, but, but again, I mean, he's a heavy hitter. We get. Gene Triplehorn as Oh, Colin. also, Troy, we just saw him at Horror Hounds. Uh, the, oh, we uh, did. Yeah, yeah, just sidebar. The My favorite costume, because Horror Hound, if anything, has some of the great cosplays there. I mean, some oh. intricate stuff. But some guy showed up uh, as Dennis Hopper from Texas Chainsaw Massacre left, 2. As Lefty, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was fantastic. He was so <laughs> cool. 
Uh, okay, Jean Triplehorn is Helen. She was sort of the '90s femme fatale, I think. <laughs> uh, you say that, but I was I was racking my brain. The only thing I can remember her from was Basic Instinct. Other than this, she did yep. The Firm in '93, Reality Bites in '94, Waterworld in '95. So mm. she she was showing herself a lot there in the early '90s. I think. I, I, like I said, Basic Instinct was. Uh, a, a frequent uh, in my in my house. Uh, so you don't I, say. I saw a lot of Janine Triplehorn in that movie, but uh, that was that's maybe that's the reason I I can't think of anything else. But I, I've seen Reality Bites. I don't even remember her in that movie. Um, I don't. But, I don't think she has a huge role. In well, it. yeah, because she's not Winona Ryder, yeah. right? She's right. the right. other girl. Yep. So every once in a while, a uh, doing a little bit of research about the movie we're talking about. There's always there's always a movie that comes along that just floors me in terms of like why the hell did I not know that? So this movie has one of those, <laughs> and it's in Tina Majorino as Enola. I had no clue that was Deb from Napoleon Dynamite. Why are you yep. drinking two percent milk? Is it because you think you're fat? Because <laughs> you could totally <laughs> be drinking whole. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've seen Waterworld and I've seen Napoleon Dynamite, and I never put two and two together. And as soon as I read it, I'm like, "Holy shit, that's dead. So like you didn't even like see it in her face when you watched the movie. Like- All I see is this little girl with this terrible haircut and this tattoo running <laughs> around with Guppy Man. And uh, I wasn't putting together that she was going to do glamour shots when she got older. And um, (laughs) uh, that just blew my mind. I don't know why, but I literally had to like pause for a second and then run around and tell everybody I knew. And everybody's reaction was the same as you guys. Like, duh. Yeah, it was the same girl. Mm -hmm. There's another actor in this movie that has a very, very small part, at least in the theatrical cut. And uh, I was like, whoa, like, we'll talk about him. Are you talking about Jack Black as the pilot? I am. <laughs> yeah. He has, much, he has a bigger, I think, presence in the uh, Ulysses. I yeah. can't say that name. Ulysses. 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 Wow. It's going to be a rough he, night. He has about uh, two minutes more screen time in that cut. <laughs> yeah, true. He, he has a, well, it's a very dramatic uh, crying scene. Because yeah, he lost he's, his he's buddy. putting it on for the camera in that scene. For sure. uh, two other names, just because they, they do tend to have a lot of, of screen time. You've got Michael Jeter's old Gregor. I think most people know him from the Green Mile in 1999. Um, uh, no, 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 no. He's Floyd Sinner, Skinner in Tango and Cash, my friend. Oh, oh, yes, <laughs> there is that. I'm, I'm, he has the truck. Yes. Yes. Okay. He he's a character actor though, man. Like he has been in so much stuff. And he like yeah. I couldn't even I I couldn't give you like all the stuff that I know him from and 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 on my on my hand. Like I've seen that dude in so many movies. And there's a few people in this movie that have been in tons of stuff. That's the thing. I mean, there's tons of you could sit here for another 40 minutes and go through all the character actors that have four or five minutes here and there mm-hmm. uh throughout the entire film. I think Michael Jeter sort of has a lot of screen time in the front end and the back end. So the first Mm -hmm. and third act. And then the other one that's kind of consistently through there, not really famous, but it's um, Gerard Murphy as the Nord. A lot of British television. Um, He was in Batman Begins uh, in 2005. But he's another one that I guess he's a character actor, but not as famous as some of the others. Well, definitely not Michael Jeter in terms of film. It seems like Gerard does a lot more television, but... Gerard is is running around with uh, Dennis Hopper. You know, he's his right hand man. Yeah, his right hand man for sure. 
I would also, I would also say, well, I mean, I, I don't know if you're about to get to him or not, but Kim Coates. Um, it's another one. Like I said, the list can go on. I, it, I, I tried to pick the ones just from a timing standpoint to kind of go from a screen time. Here are probably the people are going to show up a little bit more. But if yeah. you go look at the filmography, you're like, oh, that guy. Well, you watch the movie and you go, well, I, that one guy that had four minutes in the beginning the uh, or the other guy that had like um, extended sequence when he's trying to trade and then yeah. might might uh, he's trying to buy the two girls. You're like, well, that guy's in a bunch of he's a big villain in Shane Black movies all the time. So, yeah, that's that's Kim Coates. He was in The Last Boy Scout. I've seen him in. He's he was he was in like every season of Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um like he's, he's everywhere, man. Like you, you, it's another one. Like you could turn on a movie and out of the five movies you would turn on, he's probably in one of them. Like dudes everywhere. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's an interesting and eclectic cast. Uh, and I gotta say, I mean, I think, I think they did a pretty good job of putting the right people for a post apocalyptic water film together, pirate film. I don't know what this is. We'll talk about kind of what genre this falls into. Uh, real quick production and development. So writer Peter Rader came up with the idea for Waterworld during a conversation with Brad Crivoy, where they discussed creating a Mad Max ripoff. That's what it started with. Mad Max goes surfing, right? Isn't that what someone mm-hmm. said? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Rader wrote the initial script in 1986, but kept it shelved until 1989. Rader cited Mad Max as he, as a direct inspiration for the film while also citing various old Testament stories and the story of Helen of Troy, with the main female character being named Helen in a direct reference. It is also widely believed that inspiration was taken from Freak Wave by Peter Milligan and Brendan McCarthy, a Mad Max Go Surfing comic strip. Mm-hmm. So there you go, Brad. Uh, first published by Pacific Comics. Uh, McCarthy himself had unsuccessfully tried to sell Freak Wave. As a movie in the early 1980s, he would go on to co-write Mad Max Fury Road in 2015. After several rewrites, Costner and Reynolds joined the Waterworld production team in 1992. The film marked the fourth collaboration between Costner and Reynolds, who had previously worked together on Fandango from 85, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Rapa Nui, the later of which Costner co-produced but did not star in. Waterworld was co-written by David Tui, who cited Mad Max to the Road Warrior as a major inspiration. And then we just kind of talked about this. Uh, both films employed Dean Semler as director of photography. Now, on the Arrow disc, there is a one hour and 42 minute documentary called Maelstrom The Odyssey of Waterworld. And it's on the Arrow limited edition Blu ray. It is just fascinating I, I mean i think it's worth the price of admission even if you don't like Waterworld. that documentary is fantastic yep agreed um i didn't get a chance to watch it you you will enjoy it i mean it I, I those documentaries about the film that run at that length tend to intimidate me because i've seen too many that run that long and they they really have a middle section that bores me to death yeah uh because i'm usually fascinated about how things come together and then what happens on the release of it and the legacy and the stories in between usually aren't as interesting as what the people think they are that are telling them. But this one has some great stories. And I'll say this, the one thing that when you read about this film, and we talked about this a little bit, when you read about it, and especially when you watch that documentary, the press 
really wanted an epic Hollywood has lost its mind story and nobody should be spending $175 million on a film budget. I mean, they, they wanted to paint this as a failure right out of the gate. And it, and it to me, is the best example of people reviewing a budget rather than the film. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, like watching this movie, you can see where the budget went. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, there's a lot of movies that you can't state that for. Like there are some movies you watch, you can go, okay, where did the budget go? And and this is this is before major CGI in films. There's composite shots and whatnot here and some digital enhancing, but like you can see the money on 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 film here. Absolutely. And and what was funny in the documentary cuz I'd always heard that you know, uh, these urban legends about, well, the set sank and then they had to rebuild it. Mm -hmm. well, that never happened. Um, mm -hmm. They had constructed a set out of one of these buoys that apparently went down and then um, they just pulled it back up so it could float again because weight distribution is what happened. Uh, it dries out and they use it again uh, it, because that's what happens when you're working on water. And apparently even Reynolds tells a story. It's kind of like the telephone game. So they would go out, they'd have a situation and they, they would miss a shot, you know, due to conditions because you're filming on water and then it would come back and then the studio would be like, all right, you know, shoot us straight. Uh, how did these two people die? And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we heard it from this person who went to this person and then it went to the press and the press are about ready to report that two people died on set. Never happened. So <laughs> everybody... I mean, rumors were swirling around this production. And when you go back and actually hear the people involved in it in the stories that happened um, during the filming of it, it really was just the conditions of filming on water. But it's all the mist that came about that is what the press was running down. Uh, and a lot of stuff that the press printed just wasn't true. Well, I mean, you've got a filmmaker wanting to make a movie on water. And I, I'm pretty sure Kevin Reynolds... Uh, consulted Steven Spielberg about, you know, how did you, you know, what would you do? And he said, I wouldn't make a movie on, on water. Don't, don't. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, when you're doing, when you're, when you're fighting nature with something like that, I mean, of course it's going to be hell. I mean, I I'm surprised he didn't heed Spielberg's, you know, uh, <laughs> warning, but also we got a great film out of Spielberg with Jaws. So maybe that was his thought was I'm going to keep pushing forward here because maybe something great will come out of this, but the press, I guess, wasn't going to let that happen. Well, and Jaws was notably had a ton of, of, of problems when it was being made in, in. Oh yeah. Well-known, well-known. So you look at that, you're like, well, they were able to cobble something together and they made one of the greatest movies of all time. So surely we can also, Troy, I just want to say $175 uh, million in today's money is $340 million. No, no, no. It's it, it's a lot of money. It is a ton of money. But again, if you go back and say, okay, well, what was Robin Hood in today's money in terms of returns? Yeah. You're in Marvel territory, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, they're, yeah, they're not hurting, but like, and like you said, eventually, and even maybe at the time of release, this thing isn't as big of a bomb as people had said it was. Um, now it doesn't make everything back all at once, but it, it is profitable um, for the studio at some point in time. Yeah. Either if you want to look at it today or whenever. Um, 
No, and, and what didn't help either in terms of its release was, and I, again, this is kind of interesting, it was nominated for an Academy Award uh, for Best Sound at the 1986 Academy Awards, but this is one of those films that people just, I mean, they loved to pick on it, they wanted to bully it, so after the press was done bullying it, then here come the Razzie Awards. So Dennis Hopper won Worst Supporting Actor, and the film was nominated for Worst Actor, specifically for Kevin Costner, Worst Picture, and Worst Director. The Razzies love Kevin Costner, too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he was nominated for a bunch of stuff in the, when The Bodyguard came out. Oh, yeah. Like, they love going after him as well. And, you know, uh, I guess we'll talk about Dennis Hopper soon, but... A, a bad a raz a raspberry performance uh, he's hamming it up i'll give it that but it's definitely not raspberry ter- territory for me oh i agree the, no. the razzies are interesting in terms of what they choose uh who they give it to and then even when some of these films get nominated on a technical merit like this one did for sound which i think deservedly so the 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 sound design and everything that's going on in this film is is kind of impressive yeah. Uh, especially, you know, if you have the right home theater setup, but I, I think it's really clear to see why, again, mixed critics, mixed viewers, uh, doesn't just come out of the gate swinging the way Robin Hood did. And I think it's fair to say the press have a lot to, to play into that narrative and the story of why it wasn't the big juggernaut that universal wanted it to be. Right. Well, uh, well, let's 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 talk about something more recent. You guys just talked about this movie, I believe, on another podcast, The Northman. Mm-hmm. I feel like The Northman kind. Of, I mean, obviously, it doesn't have the press issue that this one has, but like a very good film that was just like panned, and like I, I've saw. Well, I, I won't say panned. Like it, critically, they had good things to say about it, but for whatever reason, it bombed. And like, why? You know, what is it that was surrounding that that caused that? Is it the fact that it's just a a modern day Conan movie, and people were like, "Oh, I could go watch Conan," but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's weird how some movies can be great movies, but somehow the 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 movie going public just isn't on board with them. It isn't, but I I think it's one of those where you're going to have, uh, and this could be oversimplifying it you might have three camps of people, one camp that just says it's a film and it's a big blockbuster, whatever it is, I just go. I mean, I, we, we probably fall into that first camp. We're not going to be swayed so much by critics, maybe sometimes our friends of like-mindedness, et cetera. But for the most part, we just go to the movies. Like we, we want to see the bombs and we want to see like the Academy Award stuff. We want to see it all. Mm-hmm. You have a se- second category of people that at the end of the day, um, they are only going to go see the stuff that gets the critical review. Because if you actually look at how many movies like the average household goes to per year, it's, it's shockingly low. I need to pull that statistic. It's like five, right? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It surprised me. But when you take a step back and think about it and they say, well, they're only going to spend and it hell, If you've got a family of four and you're going to the films, especially in the evening, I mean, you're dropping a hundred dollars, hundred plus, right. Yeah. For concessions and everything else. So you are going to be picky about what you see. And so you're probably going to fall into these two other camps I'm, t- I'm kind of referencing, which is one, you're going for the critical camp, like what is good based on the critics? And then two, the what is good based on what my friends tell me, right? Yeah. And then this third category, which is I think us, where we just want to see everything. So I, I, 
I think your press <laughs> take everybody out of the ones that follow the reviewers yeah. and say, I'm not going to see Waterworld because they say it's bad. And then you have a lot of other people who might have mixed feelings about it at the time. And so if it's not, if it's hovering at about, you know, 50% ish, you know, under 50 from an audience that, that means this didn't have huge word of mouth when it came out. But I mean, critics really played this thing up as a stinker. And that may have influenced that other category of people saying, well, maybe I liked it, but I shouldn't like it because the critics are saying I shouldn't like it. Yeah. There's that. You also remember like magazines and stuff like where people were checking out at the grocery store, like magazines had a lot of sway over people. I mean, yeah. people thought like there was a kid that, you know, bat, bat kid was real and all this stuff from the national Enquirer. So. Wait, what, what he is real. Oh yes. Yeah. Sorry, Troy. He's okay. real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just funny how now with social media has a lot of sway back then. It was like entertainment weekly and all that yeah. stuff had just so much sway over people. Cause well, that's, what's weird about the, that's uh, honestly, that's what's weird about the Northman for me is like, there was a lot of positivity surrounding the Northman yet. It, it failed at the box office. Now I'm also not factoring in a pandemic that affected yeah. the movie public at that time as well. But like, it was, it was a shock to me that the Northman did as bad as it did. Yeah. So, I, I, mean, I still don't think we're done with the, I mean, we haven't finished the ripple effect of the pandemic when it comes to yeah. like the box office. Right. I mean, they're out there, they're out there doing movie day for $3 tickets to try and I, it, we got jaws. We released, we're getting trick or treat again in Halloween. I, there, it's, no, no, no. Oh, oh hang on. I'm going to go on a tangent here. I'm sure. We're not getting trick or treat again. This is the first fucking time trick or treat has ever been in the movie theaters. Yes. Oh, and I that know. Amazing. Like, <laughs> but I could, I could go off on a tangent right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to restrain myself. <laughs> it, it's proof that in terms of content studios don't have a lot to get out there right now to bring people back to the movie theaters. Right. They, they just don't, which is why trick or treats coming out in October. Mm-hmm. So when did, when did was tri- like trick or treat was like Oh eight or Oh nine. Wasn't it trick or treat was in the early two thousands. And I remember there being, a, I saw that trailer so many times mm-hmm. and me and Jason from my, from the other co-host on my show, we were so psyched for that movie. It looked so good. It was going to be like the perfect Halloween movie and they ended up pushing it and it didn't get a theatrical release. And we were so pissed because once we saw the movie, we were like, how could you not release this at Halloween time? You would have made so much money. But like, I don't know. It baffles me that 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 movie did not get a theatrical release. So I am so happy that it's finally getting a theatrical release, (laughs) even though it's almost 20 years later. Yeah. And Quinn Lord is still making money off of being Sam because we he was there this weekend can, signing can we, autographs. Can we take bets right now on how poor trick or treat's going to perform at the box office? Oh, I, oh I, it'll be terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know nobody was going to go see it. I'm just happy that it that's why they didn't release it in the theaters. Nobody was going to see it then either. I, I think it would have had a better chance of making some money at that point in time. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I think it would have had a better, I think you're, I think your horror nerds like ourselves <laughs> love that film. I still don't think the general public know anything about it. Hence it would have never made any money at the box office. I think that's a Halloween classic that people slept on, man. It's a Halloween classic Agreed, for yeah. us. It's not a Halloween classic for the general public. It just isn't. Hey, I love Tucker and Dale versus evil. It is my holiday classic, but outside of outside of my circle, nobody knows about that film. Still. Oh, that film's hilarious. I, I agree. 
Okay, let's start pushing it, Troy. Let's start making a push. People need more people need to know about Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, I got another one I'm pushing this year. I'll go back (laughs) to Tucker and Dale. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, hey, listen, I'm real curious to hear everybody's thoughts on the revisit. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear Brad, Josh, and myself talk about. uh, I think we all watched or have seen the theatrical version in this long, super-duper three-hour cut. So we're, we're going to give opinions on that. So stay tuned. In the mood for hot coffee? When you are, nothing else will satisfy. Coffee has a flavor, an aroma, a deep-down satisfying goodness all its own. And our coffee has something extra, the care with which we brew and serve it. You'll enjoy the show more while you're enjoying steaming hot coffee. Come and get yours now. Death Race 2000. In the year 2000, hit-and-run driving is no longer a crime. It's the national sport. Death Race 2000, starring David Carradine. He was built by the world's finest surgeons to drive the fastest car ever designed, and nothing can stop him now. Death Race 2000, a cross-country road wreck. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Let's get into this. Uh, Josh, I'm going to start with you. Let's talk. Brad, you did not watch the theatrical cut this time, just the longer one. The longer one, yes. How do you want to do this? Do we want to talk about just the movie in general between the two cuts? Do you want to isolate it to one over the other? How how should we do this? I mean, we can just start talking about the movie and we can interject when when we know there's extra things that have been added, like... Troy, you and I both watched the theatrical cut for this, I think, right? Yeah, I watched both. So I I spent five hours in Waterworld. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, well, six so, and mean, a half if you throw the documentary in. So we can just talk generally about it and just sort of bring up the stuff that's that's been put in with the Ulysses cut. No, that's perfect. So I'm going to kick it over to you, Josh. Uh, how was the revisit, the five hours of, of Kevin Costner swimming around uh, as a fish? As kill I mean, man, <laughs> there you know. There's some movies where it, it could be a chore to get through watching two versions of a movie and and seeing the differences and whatnot. But I didn't feel that watching this. I mean, maybe it's because I haven't watched it in quite some time. Uh, but you know, again, when you guys told me you were doing this, I was interested not only because I hadn't cracked open my Blu-ray yet, but I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I always remember from when I saw it on cable when I was a kid. I think this is a nice, fun adventure movie. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't hold this in the upper echelon of movies by any means. But I, I am at least, at the very least, entertained watching Wonder, uh, Waterworld. Um, there are things in this movie that I saw the first time that stuck with me. Like, you know, when you're when you're 15 and you're watching movies like this, you're watching somebody pee in a cup and then filter it out and drink it. Like. There, there's stuff going on here that I was that, that has always stuck with me since the time I, I I'd originally seen it. So uh, I was interested to see how I felt about it now, and I, I think it still holds. I mean, aside from some you know production stuff like some bad 
insert shots or some some compositing that's not too good or CGI, whatever. But like as far as the adventure goes, the story, the plot and everything, it's it's nothing that's going to blow anybody's mind. But there are definitely worst action movies you could watch out there. Okay. I mean, that, that's just my honest opinion. Like I, I, I'm never bored watching this movie. I think this movie actually moves at a pretty good pace. The, the, the theatrical cut anyway. So I, that's the first question I would have for you watching the theatrical versus the three hour cut and seeing them so close to each other. Does Waterworld work better one way or the other? I'm a big fan of different cuts of movies. I think we've talked about this briefly before on your show, actually. But um, like, you know, one of my favorite movies is Almost Famous. There's a producer's cut of that. Um, That thing you do, there's a director's cut of that that's longer. Like, And you don't necessarily need those to be longer in order to enjoy those movies. I still love the theatrical cuts of those movies just as much as if I wouldn't have gotten the extended ones. But you know, there are some things that can be overbloated with extended stuff. And there are some that I think, you know, hold good information. I think the, the extended stuff here gives you a little bit more to go off of some things that may actually be a little confusing in the theatrical cut. You get a little bit more out of in the, in the Ulysses cut. Um, does it need to be there? Probably not, but um, I don't think it hurts the movie. Like I was interested in the stuff that was extra there, but I can kind of see why some of it got cut too. Okay. Well, how was your revisit, Brad? Yeah. So I remember watching this a lot on cable and, and catching it in bits and pieces. So I probably haven't seen this all the way through in quite some time. Um, but again, arrow puts out a great edition and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to watch uh water world. And of course I don't until we do it on this show. Um, but I thought, Again, for three hour cut of a movie, I thought it moved at a really good clip. I forgot like the first 40 minutes of this kind of goes like it's a big opening action sequence um, with lots of explosions and a lot of cool, like practical effects. I mean, you see the money in this movie. It's like all the money everywhere, um, huge sets and boats and all sorts of stuff. And I, I, you hear about making a movie on water and you're like, I I don't know why anyone would ever choose to do this because it looks horrific. Um, And, you know, it, it does kind of slow down some to build the plot. And we bring in this character that obviously is going to, you know, have the map to, to the, to the dry land and all this stuff. Like it's nothing that again, like it's Mad Max. Like we all know what this is. It's, it's not, something that is like overly complicated, but it's still an entertaining watch. And I, I don't understand why people hate it so much. Cause I look at like Dennis Hopper and he's just going for it. And I love every second he is on screen, um, making the anti-hero, like your main character is a little bit, I, I don't know when you, when you open your character on him pissing in a jar and then <laughs> filtering that and drinking it, that's an odd choice. But I think a lot of the choices they make in this movie are pretty odd, but yeah, I, I, I really liked this viewing because I, I caught a lot of new stuff. Um, and I was glad that I, I went for the, the three hour cut. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm puzzled by, when we look back on it now, like what people hated about this movie so much. And I don't know if it's again, 
all the production issues and whatnot and their big spending um, because it doesn't look cheap and it it's not a terribly written movie again it's not overly complicated and it's pretty simple but everyone's doing a good job it looks good the music for the most part is is really good as well so everything around it also works for me um yeah and I, i think the weak link might be kevin costner if you want to know the truth but that's just me. I, I I agree. I I think your mileage will vary based on the question: Can you handle Kevin Costner's anti-hero performance? Right. Mm-hmm. So he, for the most part, is not a likable guy through majority of the film, and his stoic performance lacks real charm. It it just does. Personally, I think it works in the setting of the story because you don't, if you, if you make a likable anti-hero, then he just is, he is truly Mad Max. But I think what makes this a little bit different is here's a, here's a fish guy who doesn't trust people. And so he acts like a fish guy who doesn't trust people. So I can't really tell yet. And I'm still stewing on it. Does Kevin Costner give a really great nuanced performance as a fish guy who doesn't like people? Or is he giving a Kevin Costner performance and trying to be stoic and it comes off as kind of um, just bland? I don't know. Well, for for the majority of the Kevin Costner stuff, especially the epic stuff I've seen of his, like, you know, he's a he has this character build and it turns around and, and, and at some point in the movie and you you may not like him in the beginning. You like him at the end. Yeah, He's got that third act turn every yeah. movie. And, and and this one, this one's more like a he kind of makes a turn really late in this movie, in my opinion. Um, but, I, you know, I still see a lot of Mad Max in his performance, though. Like it, it's it's, you know, it's not much different than what Mel Gibson brought to the Road Warrior or, or Thunderdome like. Uh, he's still a guy who doesn't trust anybody. He, he, he meets a group of people that he has to trust and has an adventure. Like there's not much different there. And I think that that's the only thing feasibly to me that I think people lashed out against just the general movie going public aside from any of the press stuff is maybe they just don't like the, the, the Mad Max on water. And I don't know, like I can, I can get on board with it. But why people hate this movie so much, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if it's hate or not enough people have seen it to kind of champion it. I, here's the thing. You cannot deny that the movie has uh, some spectacular stunt work. I mean, it's so good. Universal Studios, you know, built part of its theme park around the like Waterworld stunt show or whatever. I mean, I could watch Kevin Costner swing around that boat for hours, man. Like that it's fun. Like the, let's just talk. Okay. Let's go ahead and get into the movie. Let's talk about this boat. Like the boat's a fucking character in the movie. Like oh, absolutely. Yeah. This, this boat that he has is awesome, dude. Like that was one of the biggest things that caught me when I was a kid was all the stuff that this boat was doing and how like, Oh, he did all this himself or like, you know, put, put all of this together in this utopian world. And it's like, holy shit. Again, it's the Mad Max effect. Like Mad Max had the cool dystopian world dystopian. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) The Uh, inverse. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) uh, But uh, you know, Max had the car and he had the guns and he had all the stuff that he collected over. It's again, like he's just diving down and getting the stuff from the bottom of the sea. Like, but still like I I was, I'm on board. 
uh, the, that's enough to draw me in here and the, the open water trading and how there's actually a lot that I picked up this time. Like how, if you come across somebody in the water, it's, it's customary to stop and make a trade and all that stuff. Like I never really picked up on all that before. So what's going on when this movie starts is working for me. And like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there for the adventure, even though I've seen it in three other movies, it's, the fact that it's on water was still enough to get my attention, you know? I, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, every, so the three acts, it's a three act story structure. Every act has an impressive sequence. I mean, act one really comes down to the attack on the atoll and mm-hmm. it is, it's fantastic. And it, except it, for the guy on the sea dude that is clearly on cables that just goes across the screen. Yeah, that was one of the effects. I was like, oh boy, that one so <laughs> wasn't supposed to be for HD. The one thing you will see on on this HD copy, uh, I'm sure it's worse in 4K, is Wildlife. you will see some of um, the, the lines and everything in the cables that are kind of making the aerobatic, you know, sea-doos and everything else do what they do. Well, uh, but you gotta you gotta watch for some of it too because there are people on sea dues that are being pulled by a plane. Yeah, so well, there are lines there that some of them are attached to, but the, there are some stuff that the camera doesn't quite hide now too. Um, but it's it's all impressive. I mean, even even the machine gun turret that's sort of just taking yeah. out the walls mm-hmm. uh, and the explosions and everything else. It's it's fantastic stunt work, and then Act Two. You have this really great sequence of this airplane with Kevin Costner's sailboat, mm-hmm. uh, which the the little things I like about this film in the stunt work um, in Act One, Kevin Costner does this jump off of a uh, he's trying to unlock the gate and he basically just kind of jumps backwards onto the sail the and slides sail. down. Yeah, I'm like that's a real that's a Jackie Chan move right there. And also on the airplane, when he's kind of climbing up his sail, and then all of a sudden the cable gets detached and he gets thrown. Yeah. Again, it's an impressive piece of stunt work. Uh, in Act Three, you have everything that takes place on the Exxon Valdez. You have Kevin Costner on a hook swinging right next to a plane as things are blowing. That's Kevin. I mean, he's having his Tom Cruise moment here. Well, that shot of him going down chasing the plane. That was a shot in the trailer, and I remember seeing that and being excited. Like I, I was like, I, I want to see Kevin Costner slide down a line chasing an airplane. Like I remember distinctly seeing that shot in a trailer and being like, "This looks fun." Yeah, it's uh, all of it. It's a simple story structure. Uh, now I'll say this: it does not need to be three hours. No, um, it does not need to be two hours. As a matter of fact, I actually think the problem with this film is it's not ninety minutes. If you think about what makes the Road Warrior, so between the Mad Max films, Road Warrior, and probably, well, let me ask you, what is the best Mad Max film? Fury Road or Road Warrior? Fury Road. Warrior. Yeah, see, it's going to come down to those two, right? But <laughs> we both, we're not going to get into this argument right now. No, 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 no. But I think I think it does say something that both are simple in nature of getting from point A to point B. Now, I th- well, going to point A to point B, back to, to point, point A, a yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> but I, I think the world building and everything is great because you learn about it within these little tidbits. But the the focus of the film is always on the momentum. Yeah, no one ever story. stops. In it. There's no like 
someone stopping and explaining the movie to you in any Mad Max movie. It's you kind of picking it up as you go, but there's no expository stuff really. But I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to, this is one of the first notes I took as like (laughs) the voiceover at the beginning is the movie trailer guy. Like that is the worst voiceover for the beginning of a movie I've ever heard just because I feel like I'm watching a trailer, but does the, does the, have you seen the Blade Runner with uh, Harrison Ford's, uh, Oh, at the Generation? end? No, at the beginning. Oh, well, maybe. I don't know. It's been a while since I've <laughs> yeah. seen Blade Runner, but I like I, I, the voiceover doesn't need to be here. Like, this was kind of one of those things in the 90s where they were like, oh, we have to put this here because they're not going to figure it out. Like, yeah. I think they do a great job of giving you exposition throughout this movie that's just enough to explain the world to you. I don't feel like the voiceover at the beginning was really necessary. I see why it's there, but like, that kind of took me right at the beginning of the movie watching it this time. I was like, whoa. That was weird. Number one, because it sounds weird. Number two, like I can figure this out. It's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, but I, I think, I think the problem with this is so road warriors about 90 some minutes, 96 true. minutes, fury roads, two hours. So water world is clocking in at fury road time. But the difference is that both Mad Max and fury road in the third act have action sequences that Hollywood uh, for the longest time, Hollywood was trying to replicate, you know, Mad Max, the road warrior, then Fury road comes along. And all of a sudden Hollywood, I think would love to do another Fury road ending third act sequence. Right. Um, But this one has its huge, amazing action set piece and act one and the Exxon Valdez stuff as cool as it is, It never reaches that, like the film never reaches the heights of thrills as it does in the first act. Yeah, when your first act act is the most exciting, it it tends to be a little bit of a problem. It suffers from Jurassic Park syndrome. Yeah, I'll agree there. Yeah, so I I just, I I think if this had been a 90-minute film, like cut down even a little bit more and tighter, I think it would have been a really good thrill ride because the problem is you don't have a you don't have an intimidating he- heavy here. Dennis right. Hopper, you have a comedic heavy, and he's chew- he's scenery chewing one on one. I mean, it's it's fantastic to watch, but it isn't any of the heavies that you would find in a Road Warrior um, or right. a he, Fury. He's Road. not he's not he's not humongous. Uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, he's not Lord Humongous or whatever from Road Warrior. He's right. not Immortan Joe. Yeah, you never you never expect him to be able to take out the Mariner or whatever you know nameless character. I never, like I never, never, thought the, never thought. Yeah, when the girl got captured, I really never thought she was in danger. Yeah, I, I never thought there was a point where. Now, if any of the other characters from the Mad Max movies had captured that little girl, at some point, I just wouldn't have been surprised if she died. Yeah, like you're more in, you're more intimidated when the Drifter gets on the boat in the middle of the movie because you know that dude's trying to do something really terrible to both right. those women. Uh, like you're more intimidated by him than you are a big bad here. So yeah, I can, I can see where you're coming from there. Yeah. And again, I still like Waterworld. I just think uh, watching that three hour cut, I did feel the three hours, especially watching the theatrical because I'm, I'm sitting there going, the theatrical cut works way better. Now where there's some things that I was a little bit confused with the theatrical cut that made more sense with mm-hmm. this three-hour cut, absolutely it did. 
the whole reason why he leaves at the end makes a little bit more sense, right? Right. You right. get a little bit of a Planet of the Apes ending that's kind of cool too in the three hour cut. It's not a huge, you know, like no, but it, it was fun. Like it was fun to see that this time going. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. God, that totally that makes, makes sense now. Like. You know, uh, and for people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, you know, they're on top of Mount Everest. Yeah. And like that was never a thing in the theatrical cut. Mm, okay. So like, uh, but, you know, I forgot where I was going there for a second. But like, uh, <laughs> it, it's, yeah, like think about the dense movies we've gotten that are two hours long, especially nowadays. Like. You give us two hours, we're going to fit so much story and build up and plot twist in there that it's going to, it's just going to be like, you're thinking about it for four days. This movie does not warrant a two hour and 15 minute long runtime. Like the plot is simple. We need to get to dry land. We find dry land. There are, there are obstacles in our way. Like there is nothing any more complicated than that to this movie. I agree. And again, the three hour cut, there's these little lines that they drop where all of a sudden you're like, oh, that makes sense. Cause she says, hey, uh, we haven't seen that much like pure dirt since Enola showed up. You know, mm-hmm. so you're like, oh, they recognize that it's not her daughter. She showed up in some fashion, had this dirt, had, you know, the tattoo, everything else, had seen dry land. So that whole mythos plays out uh, better in terms of continuity. Yeah, but this is an action adventure post-apocalyptic pirate movie. This is a this is a post-apocalyptic pirate movie. Mm-hmm. If if it is just a simple chase film to where it's get the girl and then get to dry land and escape the smokers, I just need ninety minutes of crap blowing up. Like your world is going to be set. And I love the production design. I think it's amazing. All of the money is there, etc. It's still on water. And water isn't interesting or doesn't have the visuals that it does that um, a deserted like nuclear wasteland did in George Miller's interpretation. So, again, Reynolds is no Miller, but I don't know what you're going to do on top of the water. Under the water, you could probably do a little bit more interesting stuff, but on top of the water, it's harder to do. But I I, I love the boat. I, I think it's you're absolutely right. It's a great character. It's just, it, it, it really could have stand for some more judicious editing. Yeah. I mean, and this is the thing with any extended cut. I, br- I brought up uh, almost famous earlier and that thing you do uh, empire records. Like it really just depends on the person watching the movie too. Like if you want more information about the characters, if you want side plots that were cut out of the movie for a good reason, absolutely go, go hog wild. I'll watch it. But like in the end, if I was going to put Waterworld on again, I'm watching the theatrical cut. Yeah, you know? me too. Um, with me, like I would prefer to watch the extended cuts of some of those other movies, just because I'm a music nerd, or I love that time time that you know the era that Empire Records is from. So therefore, I want to bask in the nostalgia of that movie. But like something like Waterworld, like I don't need an extended scene of them on a boat talking. <laughs> you know, like give me the, give me what I need to move the story along and then we're good. Like, but you know, but to be fair, I don't think the three hour cut is bad. It's just not necessary. Yeah. I will say the part of the movie. I, I will probably say I hate is when they get to dry land. Cause we all know they're getting there, but when they get there, I just feel like it's so anticlimactic. Like I just, I hate every second of it. 
You hate every second of the dry land yeah, seasons? Yeah, because they're... Is it because it know. draws on too long? or It does. It goes on too long. You know you're going to get there. It's after you... Anytime something happens after you like kill the big bad, a lot of times it feels like that's the climax of the movie. That's the closure. We're getting into the Lord of the Rings endings. Yeah, like. and then you're like, oh, now we have... We still have 35 more minutes of this movie and Dennis Hopper's dead. Like, is it what that are we? Long? No, it's like, it's like a half an hour. Okay. Uh, but Brad time works different in movies. Yeah. Yeah. But, because uh, they get, I guess, because I also hate the, like, the hot air balloon thing too, because it's just so convenient. And what did you think about the bungee jumping sequence? Uh, that one didn't really hold up to me. It's kind of, I, I don't know. I like I like that it led to like a huge explosion like that was cool because they blow some stuff up in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that kind of where the result is big explosion, I'm like, oh, it's fine because it three CDs like ran into each other and blew up. So I'm OK with that. I think but, that that piece works. Ultimately, it's just like in the in the reality of it, like, OK, did he know he was tying a bungee cord to his, his leg or was he just like jumping on a rope like how did like it's a very it's a moment that happens too fast to warrant what happens in it it's like it's almost like that needed to be thought out a little bit more maybe but in the context of this movie it's a fun little set piece like i i, I enjoy it yeah i mean i think the thing that works the least in this is the diving bell thing also like the diving bell just doesn't work for me because then you're really looking at Kevin Costner swimming against the green screen. And you're like, this doesn't, the compositing on this just does not hold up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well that, that's aged terribly. Like yeah. it doesn't look very good, but I mean, at the time, like I remember that scene watching that scene and like I was in, I was in, engulfed in what, what we were seeing there. Like, I, I remember liking that a lot. Like, again, there's a lot I like. Plus, she would probably get the bins on the way up because he's going up way too fast. I did think about that this time. I was like, so if we're that, going back up, this is going to be problematic. <laughs> that's a that's a really good example of, I think, with some of these films, when science, and I hate science and math. Right. Um, when, you get, when you get into a film that hits a particular length, and you start explaining and world building at some point, my brain's going to kick in and start asking those questions. When in fact, if you're, if you're doing this type of action setup movie, you need me to get, you, you need to get me to the next thrill. Don't give me time to think about it. Just keep me entertained. Yeah. yeah Cause like- I've, <laughs> the thing I kind of noticed with that, um, I would say second death of Dennis Hopper sort of <laughs> right. And, and yeah. you get this bungee cord thing. I really noticed the fact that the boats explode even like 15 feet, even before they touch. Before the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and it makes sense. And it, I, I would say it looks cool, but I am now thinking about that boating scene when they're on dry land, when you should be ending the film. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying, Brad, is that the ending kind of annoys me a little bit because it's like, it's over. The movie's over. You found dry land. And if you keep going on too long, I'm going to start thinking about the last action sequence and the last action sequence had some problems. So get, get me out, man, get me out of the theater. So yeah. I, I turn around and want to see it again and see that first part. I, I totally agree with what, with what you guys said about the first act though. Like that, that whole action set piece at the atoll is the best part of the movie. Oh, like there, there are things that happen later that, that I think are cool, but, ultimately everything that happens there it's like you know 
I'm I'm just I'm watching it the second time in the in the third cut, and I'm watching all the stuff going on, and I'm just like, hey, you guys have watched Saturday Night Live, I, I'm sure. But uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Bill Hader does uh, shit. Um, this place has everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. I was just going. This place has everything: a water bar, human recycling, <laughs> fish people, ancestral elders, a tomato plant, hot air balloons. Like, <laughs> even though they have nothing to trade, there's so much there that I love. Like Stefan, <laughs> wasn't his name Stefan or Stephane, something? Yeah, yeah. I, I I absolutely love that character and. That's all I could think the second time watching. I was like, look at all this stuff they have. <laughs> it is. It's so cool. You got skiers jumping over um, the walls. Uh, I love even Kevin Costner kind of swimming real quick. And oh, I love that shot of him doing out of it. it. Yeah. yeah. It, and, and to me, I, I'll say this, that that Atoll sort of destruction sequence is one of the best, I, I don't know, things filmed in the 90s from an action perspective. It is super impressive. It's it's worth alone watching the theatrical cut. Look, so here's the thing, folks. If if you're like, ah, eh, Waterworld, why watch it? You got to watch it. I, I really do think you got to watch it, specifically for the first act alone. The other two acts are just as they're good. They're not just as good as the first act. The first mm-hmm. act is the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, skip the three hour cut and all that other stuff. I would say give Waterworld a chance for that theatrical alone. Yeah, like you get everything you need out of the theatrical cut. Yeah, there's a couple of things that happen in that extended sequence that make you go, oh, okay, that makes a little more sense to me now. Um, but ultimately, like I think the original cut of this is is more than you would more than you need, as you as you pointed out earlier, Troy. Like it's a little long, but you're still there, gonna there's be there's a four K Universal put out a four K of this, not Arrow. Um, and it only has, I think, in four K the theatrical cut with DTSX. Uh, so when that hits a particular price point, I'm picking that sucker up because I would watch the theatrical again. Well, didn't Arrow put out a 4K release of this also? Uh, I think I think it's only I think Universal. It's just Blu-ray. Okay, well, could be wrong. I, I feel like there's a 4K somewhere. I, I felt there like is. I heard it's, Arrow. It's, I feel like I heard Arrow announced one too. But I wanted to ask you guys since it seems like we all watch the Arrow cut, like or the Arrow uh, edition. My pictures seem to be quite grainy. Like it wasn't very sharp. No, uh, did, did you guys have that problem or like? Not I, that I noticed. To be it honest, it wasn't as crispy as some of the other Arrow Blu-rays I've seen, and I don't know if it's just the transfer or what. But I, I, that was the only thing that kind of got me with this one was I felt like the 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 look of it was a little off to me. The, but the grain showed up for me with the underwater sequences or anytime you get like the composite shots. Yeah, but the composite every, shots are, are are really like they're noticeable. Hard to look at. Yeah. <laughs> But every everything from a practical perspective, it, I think the movie looked gorgeous, especially when you get his ship sort of sailing, and mm-hmm. and even some of the sequences where you get uh, these sunsets and things happening in front of the sunsets looked gorgeous on it. Yeah, things I think there's are, two shots of one one in front of the sun, and then there's another one in front of the moon. Yeah, and those are really cool. I like those. I noticed, and this is, and you all can say, tell me if I'm if this is correct or not. In the longer cut they like embrace on the boat twice is one of those cut out in the, for the theatrical. Cause like they do the kind of pseudo sex scene and then they do it again. Like she embraces him again. And I'm like, Oh, one of those is definitely out. Like they didn't do it twice in the theatrical cut. It had to be cut. I did. That I, was like one of the one things I noticed like, Oh, that's got it. One of those has got to be gone. 
Well, do you guys know, like, do you guys know the, the story behind the, the, the longer cut? Like it was the TV stuff that was added in for the TV version, which was like it's European too, right? Footage. Yeah. Like uh, all this stuff. And then like people gathered the footage and made their own cut and started calling it the Ulysses cut. And then for the Blu-ray, they did that cut of the movie. So it's almost like a fan thing. They put, it's almost like the Halloween two, like you can put together the TV version in the, the film version. Um, so that's, there were some weird jumps like jump cuts for that kind of stuff. I did notice that too. Um, because like he goes down into the boat and is looking for things, comes back up, then they go to sleep and then the blimp comes like, there's a couple of weird things like that in there. I, I, yeah, I did catch that too. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about even the TV cut and everything else there's not necessarily new scenes. There, there might be a new scene here in terms of like you see them debating what they're going to do to Kevin Costner's character in the beginning at the, yeah. the atoll, right? You, you have them arguing and they're like, oh, we found this on his boat and it's used to torture people, et cetera. Right. So a thigh master. Thigh master, master yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get you get a little just a few minutes here and there of new sequences, but the majority of the footage that is, quote unquote, new is just extended um, yeah. scenes of a scene that's already in there. So, right. and that may be why I like the theatrical cut more because when you watch the the three hour cut, you're basically watching the theatrical scene, but then it keeps going. And in my head, I'm like, okay, now you're just talking to give me more backstory or explain yeah. something. Show me like a get, lot, get a lot of the thing. extra stuff in here is just Helen giving us information. Yeah. <laughs> It, it like, is. There's a lot of her talking about things and like her complaining about there not being water or food. Like there's that whole scene where he's sitting there eating the one tomato that was growing on the tree yep. and they're just watching him like dogs. Like they just keep creeping up closer and closer to him. And then it cuts to the scene where she's like, we need food. And the guy comes up. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is the fishing scene when she's bitching <laughs> about wanting food yeah. and he jumps in the water I remember when I saw that as a kid, I was like, Oh crap, that was cool. And I loved the jump cut when the fish explodes and then it's just him slapping it on the grill. I love that. I think that's awesome. And that's part of the theatrical cut. That's all, that's all in there. Yep. No, it's, <laughs> this does not deserve the reputation it had upon its release. I'm glad that it's getting some love from folks like arrow uh, and putting those sort of mega sets together with every possible version. And, and I got to say, like, the, the documentary is just as fascinating as as any of those other sort of documentaries on films that I've seen recently. But, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I think out, I think out, of, out of 1995, this movie definitely plays better in 2022 than it did in 1995, just because you don't have any of the, the negativity surrounding it. Yeah. Yeah, you get away from the press and mm -hmm. you can kind of gauge it on its own. I am curious of people who would sit down and watch this thing who never, uh, you know, even what's funny is I can't get my family to watch it. Although when I go back and tell them that Deb from Napoleon Dynamite's in it, they'll probably all want to see it now. <laughs> um, but yeah, what what's funny is I, I would love for somebody to kind of give their thought or impression on it who is just now coming to it without any of its baggage. And then what did they think about it? So, you know, for somebody who really doesn't know the Mad Max movies, this may be the greatest. They look at, they may look at Mad Max and go, well, it's not as good as Waterworld. Who knows? I don't right. think anybody mm -hmm. would say that in their right mind, but no, um, you never know. I, I met somebody who didn't like Star Wars because they saw Spaceballs first and thought stars, Star Wars was an unfunny Spaceballs. <laughs> That's my sister-in-law. 
That's a good one. That's a good one. No, I mean, I, you know, does this movie have a cult following at all? Or is this just a notorious bomb that everybody hates? Like who's like, other than us three, who's buying the arrow edition Blu-ray of this? Like, that's the thing. Like, you hear about movies that maybe didn't necessarily do good at the box office or they bombed or whatever. And then they have a cult following. It has to, it just, I don't, I've never, to. but like you said in the beginning, Troy, like I don't ever hear anybody talking about Waterworld. Like it's not, it's not a bad movie. <laughs> it isn't, but I no, but it's also not a stellar movie either. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a completely average action movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yes. Well, honestly, guys, like I, I don't even know if I could say average. Like some of the set pieces in this are amazing. It is. Yeah, I, that's I, a good point. Yeah, yeah, there are there are some sequences that really stand out, especially so like, that first one. Yeah, like it, it, even if you wanted to watch the first half hour of the movie and then get bored with it and turn it off, like at least be entertained by that because there's a lot of good stuff on display right there. Like, I, hey, look, it's a great action film that is kind of stuck within a bit of a convoluted pacing structure, meaning it, it's got its three acts and everything else. It's just, it, it's got a little bit more fat on it uh, that prevents it from just being this, um, you know, from point A to point B thrill ride, but still the stuff that's in between, I, I don't know. I've, I've really, I've really come to appreciate this film more this week, especially, you know, spending six and a half hours with within the Kevin Costner, Kevin Reynolds world. Um, and I'm glad I watched the three hour cut. I just know, I don't know how often I'm going to go back to that. I'll definitely go back to the theatrical though. It's one of those things where like when you watch the movie again and you watch the theatrical cut, like you'll be able to go, Oh, Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. I, you know, I know what that means now. Like, it's just one of those things, you know, and it's, you know, for film nerds like us, that want to have those little bits of ink, those little inklings of information that maybe the typical moviegoer doesn't have. Like that's what that cuts good for. And I'm, I'm glad it's there that I can get that, but it's not something I want to revisit all the time either. No, yeah. This, this isn't like kingdom of heaven where the director's cut makes it like completely different in a way better movie. Like I'd say it, it doesn't really, isn't really necessary. Or like mall rats where the director's cut just completely ruins the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> or like the warriors director's cut, which is just the director crapping all over his own movie. <laughs> I don't uh, know if I've seen that cut. But. Oh, please don't ever see it <laughs> ever. Um, what, what other thoughts on this one, Brad, Josh? Uh, I think we pretty much got to everything that I, I had uh, jotted down here. Uh, I mean, we didn't really touch much on the fact that he's a, a mutation, like he's a fish man. Yep. And, and that's, you know, that's the biggest thing. That's the change between him and Mad Max, honestly, in my opinion. And again, when I was a kid, like when they reveal that he's got the gills behind his ears, I was like, whoa, that's cool. Like they gave us a little bit of stuff that was just enough to interest me and keep me in the movie. So like, again, I think the press surrounding this movie is really ultimately what ruined it for, for everyone. Um, and, and, and maybe it's just people's wanting to, to block it out and not see it because of those reasons. And that's why they're not willing to give it a chance. But honestly, like it it wouldn't hurt you to watch Waterworld. It's not a bad movie. Yeah. No, I think, I think you'll like it. I I really do think a lot of people would like it if they give it a chance. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask the question. I'm gonna start with you, Josh. We just got done talking about Waterworld in 1995. Everybody just thought not only was it a bomb, but it was going to sink Hollywood as a whole. But given a revisit, you've you've watched five hours of Waterworld. Um, is this 
Kevin Costner Aquaman prequel is is it a bomb? I'm going to say no. Oh. I don't think this movie is a bomb. I think it was completely mis uh, misunderstood or something. Like it's just it's one of those that Hollywood just. I, I wouldn't say that it was a black labeled or whatever. It's just I, something about this movie turned a lot of people off and. I have yet to figure out what that is. I, I don't think this movie is a bomb. I think it's an absolutely entertaining action movie. So my recommendation is watch Waterworld. Awesome. All right, Brad, what's your take on this one? Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with Josh. Like, I don't know why this movie had such a target on its back, but it did. And it definitely sank it. But looking back on it now, I think it's a quite entertaining adventure film. Not perfect, not great, but good but has some standout sequences that definitely should be seen. Um, so yeah, I think even if you just want to watch that first, like 35 minutes and then cut out, I think it'd be fine, but not a bomb. Okay. I'd say stay for the whole movie. Um, it's definitely not a bomb. Watch the whole thing. You'll love the first 35 minutes, but I, I'm just telling you, even the second act, third act have some great stuff going on with it. And uh, not, not much to add what you guys have said. I mean, I think we've clearly diagnosed this thing as, you know, a victim of the press. But uh, folks, watch watch the theatrical cut. This is a case where everything that came after the theatrical cut doesn't necessarily add to it. So um, if you get the arrow set, though, watch the theatrical cut and the documentary. It's a great purchase. And then that might persuade you to watch the, the Ulysses cut. Yeah, I'd be curious if somebody had seen like all the cuts. Um, I didn't have time to watch all three. I, I probably would have. But, you know, is is the TV cut the sweet spot between the theatrical and the longer three hour cut? Um, you know, let us know. I mean, if there if there are Waterworld fans listening to this and you're like, man, you guys are missing the boat. Rejoice. You should watch this version. <laughs> Come on, guys. Let's rejoice. Let's let's get some momentum behind Waterworld. 20 I, years. I agree. <laughs> yeah, let's get this thing going. Uh, well, Brad, we got some listener feedback. It's a doozy. We, sh- we sure do. Okay. It's from our good friend, Nathan. He's been on the show before. I think uh, last episode he was on the Death to Smoochie. Is that right? Yes, it's often requested, Death to Smoochie. Often requested. So he says, hey, fellas, a quick and never useful piece of trivia. I once literally ran into Dylan Walsh in a CVS in LA. So I think Dylan Walsh was the topic of our conversation. Charlie's his biggest fan, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Loves him. Loves him. Loves Dylan Walsh. Is right. So uh, Nathan continues, uh, I was surprised by how short he was. I was not surprised that his demeanor and expressions were about the same in that moment versus anything you've seen him in. At 5'10", he's still a few inches taller than Tom Cruise. <clears throat> That's a lie. Um, <laughs> more importantly, someone else listened to your podcast on Congo, Movie Guide. Uh-oh. Oh. Here we go. It seems that you're on their radar and they're keeping. Oh, he gave us he gave us movie guides review of our last episode. Here we go. This is Congo language, heavy violence, light sex, heavy. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nudity, yeah, none. Well, that's not entirely true. <laughs> um, I'm not wearing pants. Brad never wears pants. Just FYI, folks. Uh, guess on a score of four to negative four. Where did we fall? negative Congo. four no negative three. Oh, negative three entertainment quality two out of four more detail here we go not a bomb podcast is back discussing the movie congo with everything that we've come to expect of them in short congo is about evolved and evolved is in quotations 
chimpanzees trying to stop capitalism from being spread to the Congo. Was chimpanzees? Gorillas. Gorillas. Okay. That's gorillas. All right. (laughs) Movie guide. Wrong. Uh, This should have been enough for them to stop discussing the film. It should be enough along with the numerous obscenities and depraved sexual discussion to keep the young ones away. I agree with that. Yep. Uh, Curses are used within the first four minutes and are numerous. Other than using the Lord's name in vain at least three times, obscenities include a word four times, B word one time, other B word one time, D word one time, sexual D word five (laughs) times. That's probably you, Brad. What, Dick? Yep. Uh, F word, not fornication, but the other word for fornication 20 times. What's the other F word? (laughs) Fuck. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. GD also used to H word three idiot, not used in reference to a liberal. (laughs) 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 Okay. Well played. So wait, you, you're telling me that this website that you guys found has got on, you found you guys on and has started listening to the show and rating you. Absolutely. Apparently so. This is definitely not Nate, our friend doing this. Keeps going. Definitely movie guy. Listen to this. J word one. What's the J? Is it Jew? Is it because we said Jew? I think you said Jesus. Oh, okay. Um, MFR one pissed, not talking about pants. One S word five sucks. Five sucks. A one <laughs> other than curses, drugs and their usage are championed references to drugs, alcohol, caffeine, Prozac, beer, martini, smoking, Congo and coffee, margaritas and Kool-Aid. These drugs are mentioned with a combination of personal usage giving to animals. This personal usage of drugs is probably what leads to the absolutely incoherent talking about the thing, about the prequel things during the thing. They then <laughs> spoil a movie, making it unwatchable, though it's not clear if they're talking about the thing or the other thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> we did talk about the thing and then the prequel, the thing. Okay. Uh, if this wasn't enough to deter an older righteous listener, the podcast also includes sexual depravity, inclusive of love between men, three plus declarations of love, a doctor taking advantage of his position of power over his receptionist, a doctor taking advantage of a mute animal, repeated references to bestiality and teaching of safe words to baboons, such as tickles and diddles. (laughs) I never thought I would read a sentence that says tickles and diddles. Again, it's a gorilla. Yeah. Uh, The only bright spot on this podcast is at the eight minute mark, which discusses forgiveness. The only other bright spot is when they discuss leaving science at the door. (laughs) Other troubling worldviews include cancel culture, joy and others suffering and anger, though it's okay because this guest is outed later as a communist mentioning divorced moms talking about cults such as Scientology and Jimmy Buffett's cult publicly ridiculing a spouse. That's every episode Uh, bringing up fake news such as me, (laughs) me too. (laughs) idolizing Hollywood stars and Hollywood liberal values. It's the Hollywood values that makes a mockery of the institution of marriage by saying it's between a man and a baboon or doctor (laughs) and patient. If the patient is a baboon, the talk of satellites and lasers is a missed opportunity to educate listeners on some lesser talked about causes of forest fires. What? I have no idea. Okay. Evolution is brought up over and over via Ninja Turtles Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, and other talk. 
Instead of being open-minded and critically thinking, they mock logical critiques of evolution. This is further transparentized with the Planet of the Apes commercial, which shows that not a bomb is receiving money from big evolution. Is there such yes, a thing yes, as big are. evolution? Yep. <laughs> I want money from big evolution. Uh, when talking that's about how they, that, that's how they paid me to be here tonight, ladies yep. and gentlemen. Okay. The, big, the big E. Uh, when talking about favorite monkey movies, they negate to mention the great family film Funky Monkey. <laughs> yeah, we did. We forgot to mention. We did that. forget yep. that one. Uh, on us. Furthermore, guest comrade Matt is a communist who doesn't enjoy glorious movie film Top Guns. I agree with that 100%. While one of the hosts calls this out, they shouldn't have let him continue on the podcast, giving him a platform to spread his propaganda. This oversight allowed comrade Matt to reference Chekhov's balloon, which seems to be code for some sort of socialist nefarious conspiracy. The other guest is also found out to be a communist when he states an alternative set of facts claiming that the U.S. has in the past worked to destabilize the government of Congo. He uses such inflammatory rhetoric as American imperialism. Well, he's a teacher too, so he's indoctrinating our, our kids. Yes, yep. Uh, one last item worth mentioning other than the vulgarities, sexualness, and warped worldviews is they make a mockery of the late Paul Walker. Rest in peace, good <laughs> sir. We know in heaven... You have all the no's you need and look forward to your cameo in the next Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> oh, you have all the NOS. I said that NOS. as no's. Yeah. Yes, NOS. Yeah, if all this sounds entertaining, it is not. Not a bomb podcast discussion of Congo suffers from poor comedy, poor editing, and convoluted themes. I think we had a theme there. Yeah. We had a few themes going on. Poor editing. I thought the editing was quite nice. I thought so too. Uh, numerous obscenities and gross sexual discussion will keep the young ones away. While stupid writing, poor editing, and talking with convoluted themes will disappoint grown-ups with the poor editing. Huh. Wow, taking you the task on the poor editing. I guess. That sounds exactly what Movie Guide would think of that episode. Well, I, does that make us famous now? We hit a yep. negative three. We haven't hit a negative four yet, have we? Yeah, we need Guide? to work on that. All right. Maybe next time. Maybe I hope they review this episode. That would be fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're pro-fish man, right? Pro yeah, that, that's a... That's a negative that's a one problem. out of the gate, right? And religion is bullshit, and Jesus is a cunt. So, <laughs> oh, Lord. Whoa, 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 time out, time out. <laughs> well, we also talked about global warming too. Yeah, which is uh, that's not really happening. That's all fake news, yeah. right? Yeah, I believe Josh and I are both drinking a liquid death. So, yeah, yeah that's liquid that, death. Yeah, so what that's is bad. liquid death? Is that a monster it, drink? Is that what that is? No, it's just oh. sparkling water. Oh, mine's just water, not yeah. even sparkling. Mine's the sparkling. Okay, you guys are fancy, but they'll find some way to 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 discredit us for drinking liquid death. Well, this they're based on they want to recycle plastic bottles and not use plastic bottles. That's why everything's in a can, Troy. So, all right, yeah, that sounds like communist talk. Uh, Brad, your pick next week. What are we doing? Yeah, we're doing the 2009 action adventure film uh, Solomon Kane from 2009. Wow, Um, this one has a interesting development and release kind of like uh, our, our film that we talked about earlier, trick or treat. So it'll be interesting to talk about that. We are also having uh, Josh's buddy in our, hopefully our new friend, Nate, come on to talk about this with us. So we're yeah. looking forward to that. New friend. I like it. Yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't watched that since uh, I think it came out on Blu-ray or whatever. Yes, exactly. I think I've haven't watched it in like 11 years. So I'm mm-hmm. ready. Never seen it. Really? 
We yep. play along. Watch it with us. Tell us what you think of it, man. Maybe I will. Do you, do you own it? Or do you got to go don't. buy it? Don't oh, have that one. Now you got to go buy it. Now I do. I think <laughs> I liked it. I remember nothing about it, but I think I liked remember it. Remember a I flaming it. sword. I think there was a flaming sword. At he had a big point. hat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Big hat, flaming sword. <laughs> big hat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember hat. the big hat. Giant hat. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm looking forward to that one. Well, Josh, what's coming up with the VHS Files podcast? Well, anybody who's been keeping up with us would know that we haven't had anything out in a while. We've had some life uh, life obstacles get in the way, but we will be coming back in October. Uh, Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. We've got a whole month of episodes uh, ready to go, and they will be uh, celebrating the month of uh uh, October with Halloween and our, our, we're going to do horror movies all month. So uh, be looking forward to that. Um, I have a new YouTube channel that I'm going to be launching in October. I don't have a ton of details I can give on that just yet, but I'm hoping to uh, be launching in October with a brand new channel with some uh, fun movie um, stuff there. So that's all I'll give you at this moment. And maybe I will jump back on and give you some more information next time I'm on the show. Cannot cool. wait. I love I love your YouTube videos. You need to teach a class. Teach us <laughs> noobs how to do it. Uh they're good, man. They're good. They're fun Thanks, watch. Man. Appreciate love it. I have fun doing them. So I will have more details on that. Be looking out at our Twitter, VHS Files Podcast on Twitter, and uh you'll see some details there when everything's gonna be dropping. But October, we'll be back at it, baby. Sweet. I can't wait. So, Brad, you and I are actually showing up in a a couple of places. We're going to have a special episode come out in the next few days. Uh, we're going to be talking. So our podcast is generally going back and looking at things that were released theatrically that bombed either with critics uh, or from a box office perspective. We're we're gonna we're gonna do something different in the next few days, and we're going to champion a movie that we discovered and try and get everybody to go out and watch it. Uh, we love this movie so much, we're bringing the director on to do a little bit of an interview. So stay tuned for that episode. And then also, Brad, uh, we had such an amazing weekend at Horror Hound. Uh, we actually will show up on another show, right? Yes, we will. It's uh, Night of the Living Podcast had us on um, their Horror Hound special episode. Troy and I were on there for about a half an hour just talking with Andy and Freddie. Um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so check them out if you haven't already. That's Night of the Living Podcast. Yeah, and I'll start posting pictures. So the, the great thing about Horror Hound uh, is the people and also the costumes and everything that we saw there. NOTLP actually had an amazing panel um, talking about like their history at the convention, but also they got to interview a couple of guys from uh, Super Troopers. So the Broken, yeah, Broken Lizard. Lizard. Yeah. And it was. They're, a, right, they're doing Super, Super Troopers 3. We yes. got that scoop. Yeah, we got that scoop while we were at Whorehound. Um, they've also got a new movie coming out on uh, Hulu in March called Quasi. Quasi, yep. Yep, it's by the Broken the telling Lizard. telling of uh, Quasimodo or the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, so if you like Broken Lizard, it looks like there's a couple of things coming out next year. I don't. I Did they say Super Troopers? The script's done, right? Mm-hmm. The third yep, one? We're getting ready to shoot it. Getting ready to shoot that. So, uh, yeah, folks, if, if, uh, you get a chance horror hound, I think they've announced the dates for next March. It's going to be in Cincy again. Um, pretty sure Brad and I are going to be there again, but, uh, definitely check it out. You got to go. It's a fun convention. Um, if you like, you know, autographs, they always pull in some great celebrities. 
Uh, for us, it's the people. Um, and I got to say, I picked up a lot of movies. I know you and I went movie shopping and, and that hurt the old bank account there. Yeah. It's special occasion. It is. They had vinegar syndrome there, Severin, uh, trauma. Um, who else was there? I There's- picked up so many trauma films. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, I'm sorry, man. I, I was going to buy you a few and just kind of sneak them in your bag just for you. Uh, what else, Brad? How do how do people get a hold of us um, if they want to? I don't know. Talk to us about the movies we talk about, or even recommend some new ones. Yeah, that's notabombpod at gmail.com. You can head over to our website notabombpodcast.com and hit the contact us button. You can also contact us with Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yeah, and if you get a chance, folks, uh, if you're on iTunes or Spotify, I don't know how it works. I'm I'm like the old guy of the group, but leave us a review, leave us a rating. I think that's how more people find out about us is through those reviews. So if you get a chance, uh, say something nice and spread the word. Um, Definitely do that for the VHS Files podcast. That's a great podcast. If you haven't started listening to that, go download it. Josh, it is always so much fun when you come on the show. Um, We love having you, man. I can't wait till you come back. I love being here. And is this the first time we've all agreed on a movie? That I've been ooh, on here. It? Ooh, ooh, it might be. I think it I think is. It might be. Yeah. No, you were on solo. There's no way in hell. Oh no, we all like solo. Never mind. Yeah, everybody loves solo. So I think okay. was that the outside first? of Star Wars related. I think it might be because you were on Highlander. Yeah, I didn't. We all like know, unfortunately, one. how your opinion on that went. Troy didn't like Under the Skin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There was another one I did too. Anyway, the, the, we could we could figure. Oh, that out. you were on True Romance. We all love True Romance. Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I'm just an idiot then. <laughs> no, I guess. So I, no, it's not. But you know, it feels like it. I guess between Under the Skin and Highlander, those were such negative experiences. They've been <laughs> pushed on your brain to think we we just hate everything. You getting that Highlander on 4K, Josh? <laughs> no. I'm not. Oh, so you might be getting it for Christmas. You never know. <laughs> oh, well, I, I will take anything for Christmas. <laughs> uh, okay. I think that's it. Uh, folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading the episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, stay tuned for the next couple of days. You definitely have to check out the next episode. It won't be Solomon Kane. There's going to be something that's released in between there. You're going to hear us talk about a very special movie. We want you to listen to that then come back for Solomon Kane. then go over to night of the living podcast. You hear us on there when they release the horror hound episode, listen to VHS files podcast, and definitely go watch next week's film and, and hear our thoughts on it. So we'll catch you then. Don't lose your head. <laughs> <laughs>